three years on, I have thrown inning after inning to make this country once again fulfill its potential. Hello and welcome to Deep Dive from the Japan Times. I'm Oscar Boyd, throwing inning after inning to make this podcast once again fulfill its potential. At the beginning of this episode, you heard the voice of Shinzo Abe, who at the end of November became Japan's longest serving prime minister and is coming up to his 3000th day as the country's top elected official. This week, Japan Times politics reporter Sakura Murakami discusses that remarkable run and what it is about Abe that has allowed him to stay in power for such a long time. So Sakura, in your role as one of the Japan Times' main politics reporters, you have had the opportunity on several occasions to meet with Abe in fairly intimate settings. Mm, yeah. You've dined with him, you've spoken to him off record a number of times. Mm. What's he like as a person? Um, yeah, like you said, I've been included in off-the-record meetings with Abe, always with some 20 or so other reporters. And what strikes me every time I meet him is that He's quite charming and incredibly good at captivating people, but in an understated way. I think a lot of people would agree with me in saying that he's not an incredible public speaker or exceptionally charismatic, like, for example, former Prime Minister Junichiro Koizumi. But there is something about him that just makes him really likable, especially when you interact with him on a personal level. That's quite interesting that you say that he's not naturally perhaps a gifted public speaker especially considering he is holding such a public position do you would you say that's quite a widely held view of him um what i found through researching abe is that some political pundits like the experts that i talk to don't think abe is an exceptional politician um what i found f- quite funny was that even his wife akie abe in an interview said Something along the lines of, you know, there are a lot of politicians who are so gifted or really hardworking. My husband is neither of those things. That's wait, so that's his own wife. His own saying wife that about <laughs> yeah. him. But she does say that behind he... every great man. <laughs> <laughs> but but she says like he feels it's his destiny that he is in the position that he is now, and um, he understands the gravity of his role. But um, that's not to say he doesn't exude his own charm. Um, I think Eiji Oshita, a former reporter who's written a book about Abe, phrases it quite well. He called it, uh, well, the direct translation is transparent charisma. But I guess that would uh, translate better into an invisible charisma, something that you kind of don't notice that's not too overt but it is there it's like an underlying charm so kind of quiet charisma quiet charisma yeah that's right so tell me a bit more then about the history of this not so exceptional prime minister abe was born in 1954 in tokyo he's 65 years old now he was actually born in a family of very famous politicians. Now, it gives me great pleasure to present to you Mr. Shintaro Abe, the Minister for Foreign Affairs of Japan. His father is 
Shintaro Abe, who served as foreign minister, as well as chief cabinet secretary, amongst other relatively big roles. Mm -hmm. His father actually came quite close to becoming leader of the LDP, but then unfortunately passed away before it actually happened. So it's fair to say then that Abe, from a child onwards, is has always been fairly used to the corridors of power growing up with mm. Shintaro Abe as his father. Yes, and his grandfather on his mother's side is Nobusuke Kishi, who served as Prime Minister of Japan from 1957 to 1960. Who'd have thought, remembering Pearl Harbor, that a Washington crowd would ever welcome a Japanese Prime Minister? But here it was, Premier Kishi being greeted by Secretary Herta and Vice President Nixon. He come to renew a treaty Kishi is arguably most famous for pushing through the U.S.-Japan Security Alliance, which sparked wide-scale protests that resulted in a lot of violence and the death of a student. And these are the same protests that we covered uh, in an earlier podcast on the Tokyo University riots with yes, colleague with Alex. Alex Martin. And um, Kishi was also held as a Class A war crime suspect, following World War II for three years, though he was actually never indicted or tried. And was Abe close to his grandfather? Absolutely. It's quite well known that Kishi adored Abe and would have Abe visit him at the prime minister's office. Apparently, Abe and his brother would play so-called protesters and chant Ampo Hantai, which is basically down with the US-Japan Security Alliance. And Abe's mum would tell him off, saying, you're supposed to say, Ampo Sansei, you know, we support the alliance instead. I mean, it's not a particularly funny or special story or anything, but it just goes to show the environment that Abe was brought up in and his relationship with his grandfather. If that's the case, does Abe bear many similarities to his grandfather in terms of his politics? Mm, yeah, um, many would say that Abe has been influenced and inspired by Kishi's ideology, which laid the groundwork for Abe's conservative tendencies. One example of this is that Abe has adopted one of his grandfather's key policy objectives, and that's the desire to revise Article 9 of Japan's constitution. This is the article that prevents Japan from forming armed forces or yeah. using war as a means to settle international disputes. That's right. And revising this article was one of Kishi's main ambitions, but something he never got around to achieving. Abe has taken up this mantle in his own premiership. So Shinzo Abe follows the family path into politics and was elected to the House of Representatives for Yamaguchi Prefecture in 1993. He rose pretty quickly through the ranks and really made a name for himself on the public stage by taking a hardline stance against North Korea, particularly in regards to the Japanese citizens that had been abducted by the North Korean regime. And by 2006, just 13 years after he first entered politics, he was elected as leader of the Liberal Democratic Party and as Prime Minister of Japan. Sakura, do you remember Abe first coming into power? Yes, I do. Um, at 52, he was actually the youngest serving post-war prime minister. And it was quite jarring seeing him come into power. How do you mean? I remember Junichiro Koizumi, the prime minister before Abe, 
And he was so charismatic and incredibly popular and just had so much presence on TV. And then Koizumi steps down, this sort of youngish-looking politician who doesn't look quite so sure of himself comes along and starts talking about making Japan beautiful. And I remember just thinking, what is this guy on about? It was such a drastic change from Koizumi, but that guy was Abe. So Abe comes into power, 52 years old, youngest serving post-war prime minister. Even then, he's not seen as particularly charismatic. How did that first term for him go? Well, it went quite terribly. So in September 2006, Abe is elected LDP leader and he becomes prime minister soon after and forms his first cabinet. Three months later, in December, one of the members of his cabinet is accused of mishandling political funding and quits. Early the next year, his agriculture minister gets accused of improper use of government money. He gets grilled at the diet, all these allegations come out, and in May 2007, that minister commits suicide. Two months later, in July, the defence minister says something along the lines of, well, nothing could have been done about the atomic bombs being dropped in Japan. Of course, he quits. That month, the LDP does really badly in the upper house elections, losing control of the upper house for the first time in 52 years. The next month, the agriculture minister quits because of a money-related scandal, and then the agriculture minister who succeeds him quits a month later because of another scandal, which brings us to September 2007, just about a year after Abe becomes prime minister. Abe gives a speech at the Diet on September 10th, renewing his resolve to put things right. But then, two days later... In power for only a year, Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe said Wednesday he will resign. Abe's announcement comes after a string of scandals... He holds a news conference and announces his resignation. A year to the day of him becoming Prime Minister, he steps down. And what was the reason given for him quitting? Well, Abe was quite unwell, physically unwell at the time. And he has repeatedly said since that his deteriorating health was the reason he quit. Abe was lambasted for quitting so suddenly, especially because, you know, it was right after he gave his speech where he promised that he would set things right. It also didn't look great that he announced his resignation the day that he was supposed to answer questions from the opposition at the Diet in relation to his policy speech and possibly the scandals as well. He was accused by the media at the time of desertion. Down and now out. Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe being rushed to hospital less than 24 hours after announcing his resignation suffering its thought from exhaustion. Once Abe stepped down from his post in 2007, it started a run of five prime ministers who each mm. lasted around a year in the job. Yeah. So what was Abe doing during that time? Well, immediately after Abe quit, he was in hospital for some time. But then as he got better, he started getting back into the front line of politics. In 2008, Taro Aso was elected leader of the LDP and presided over the worst election defeat in the history of the party. The LDP won just 119 of 480 seats 
And this was a major turning point in recent Japanese politics because for the first time in 13 years, the LDP lost its majority in the Diet. Did this loss of power affect Abe in any way? Well, Abe was one of the LDP members who retained his seat, one of the 119 members who kept his seat, showing that despite his resignation as prime minister, he maintained a good level of support, at least in his constituency. So the Democratic Party of Japan takes over from the LDP in 2009. And now Abe, despite being re-elected in his constituency, is a pretty rank-and-file politician with no special standing. He's had one disastrous term as prime minister. And at this point, basically seems as far away from the premiership as it's possible to be. What prompted his rehabilitation? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, Abe's first term as prime minister was mired in scandal, so he did have a poor public image. In 2012, when there was the opportunity to run for the leadership of the LTP, Abe faced a tight race against former defence minister Shigeru Ishiba. And in the initial contest, Abe actually fell behind. But he got some major intra-party factions on his side, including the Aso Habatsu, the Aso faction led by Taro Aso. And that support ended up seeing him sweep to victory in the face-off between him and Ishiba for the leadership of the LDP. And how did he go from president of the LDP back to prime minister of Japan? Well, just around the same time, the ruling Democratic Party of Japan were unpopular with the public and they had lost their majority in the lower house due to splits within the party as well. With his own party in disarray and low public support, then Prime Minister Yoshihiko Noda called for a snap election. An election that Abe ended up winning, returning him and the LDP back to power. A second chance to make a mark. Shinzo Abe stages the comeback of his career to be named Japan's Prime Minister again. On the 26th of December 2012, Abe was formally elected as Prime Minister by the Diet, a position that he holds to this day, and one that makes him Japan's longest-serving Prime Minister. We've talked so far in this podcast about how he's considered an unexceptional politician, fairly uncharismatic, or at least only possessing a quiet charisma, and about how his first term was pretty disastrous. But the fact he's been in the role longer than anyone else ever before him is in its own way quite exceptional. So what's been our base secret? Well, I would say that the biggest reason that um, Abe's served for so long as prime minister is that he's really good at winning elections. He's won six national elections so far. And every time he wins an election, it the win just adds to his mandate. Why, why is this? Why is he so good at winning elections? Well, there are a number of reasons. Um, One is that the opposition has lacked leadership and unity since they fell out of power in 2012. 
And Abe is really good at taking advantage of this. How so? He's often used rhetoric that aims to set himself apart from the chaos and instability of the time when the Democratic Party of Japan were in power, calling that time things like a nightmare and a dark age, then painting his own time in office as one of stability and security. Abe also has political acumen for calling for snap elections when the opposition is like most unprepared for it. Abe's snap election surprised everyone, including his opponents. The country's socialist parties have also suffered internal divisions that will most likely see them suffer badly at the polls. Abe's liberal for example, uh, when he called the 2014 snap election, the largest opposition party, the Democratic Party of Japan or the DPJ, hadn't even decided half of its electoral candidates at that point. Uh, During the 2017 general election, the Democratic Party ended up splitting into two different groups, making for an opposition that was fragmented. The most concrete evidence of this is that, well, Abe certainly has his core supporters who are very loyal to him. Polls by public broadcaster NHK also show that the biggest reason respondents support Abe's government is because they feel like no one else can do a better job. They don't have a better option or an alternative to Abe and the LDP. So Abe is very good at exploiting this and also taking advantage of his opposition's weaknesses. Yes, and he's also good at using the overall political climate of the time to his advantage as well. During the 2017 election, Abe capitalized on how North Korea was increasingly launching missiles and played up the threat of North Korea during the elections. The victory saw the Japanese PM retain his supermajority, strengthening his long-term goal of changing Japan's pacifist constitution. He called the snap vote in part to deal firmly with the growing threat from Pyongyang. According to some national newspapers, Taro Aso even said that the LDP won the election with such a landslide, thanks to North Korea. Does Abe have anything kind of in the Trump vein of campaigning, you know, the catchy three-word slogan, stuff like that, that's helped um, cement his support amongst voters and make him a more memorable candidate? Definitely. Um, Abe has campaigned a lot under lots of catchy slogans, which become central policy ideas for a while before sort of you know, disappearing and getting forgotten as time goes by. I think you might have heard of phrases like a society where women can shine or, you know, creating a country where every individual lives to their maximum potential, that sort of thing. Premium Friday. Premium Friday, that's another one that I don't think is uh, (laughs) happening, not for us at least. How has Abe's experience from his first term as prime minister influenced his decision-making second time round? Well, I would say that Abe is very adept at learning from his past mistakes. He took a lot from his previous term and has become much more cautious about who he taps for ministerial roles. And that's probably a lesson learned from his first term where he lost so much public trust because of all the scandals that happened within his cabinet. 
He's also created a stronger backbone to his government, uh, namely keeping people like Taro Aso as deputy prime minister and finance minister, as well as Yoshihide Suga as chief cabinet secretary since 2012. It probably also helps that power has become increasingly centralized around the prime minister's office, making Abe's premiership more stable and giving him more control over the ministries and policy making in general. So despite this focus on stability, though, Abe and his government seem to be walking on shakier ground now. In the past few years, there have been two major favoritism scandals that have implicated Abe directly, the first being his links to the ultra-nationalist school Moritomo Gakuen. And more recently, coming out this autumn, a scandal emerged around his hosting of a Sakura Cherry Blossom viewing party. Have either of these scandals, which have made national headlines, affected his popularity at all? Well, it depends on which source you look at. The Moritomo Gakuen scandal saw the Abe government's approval ratings drop to as low as about 30% for left-leaning dailies like the Asahi Shimbun. But for NHK, it dropped from 58 to 51% around that time. So it drops, in, drops across the board. Drops across the board. That being said, following that scandal, even former Prime Minister Junichiro Koizumi suggested that Abe should resign. Despite the drop in polls and calls from such a prominent figure, the scandal clearly wasn't enough to destabilise the Abe government. And have we seen a similar thing take place with the more recent Cherry Blossom Viewing Party scandal? Yep, we've seen something quite similar play out. Polls indicate that the issue only left a slight dent in his approval ratings. And the fact of the matter is that, despite these scandals, no significant contender has really emerged from, either within the LDP or among the opposition parties, to challenge Abe's grip on power. That being said, with everything that's happening recently, like the two ministers quitting in close succession back in October, as well as the Cherry Blossom viewing party scandal... Experts I've spoken to while reporting on Abe have seen this as a sign that the Prime Minister's actually beginning to let his guard down. Cumulatively, Abe has now been in the role of Prime Minister of Japan for approaching eight years. He's approaching his 3,000th day in office, but at the same time, he is approaching his maximum term limit as leader of the Liberal Democratic Party. He's had several scandals of late and a downtick in polls, even if it is only a dent. So what's next for Abe? I think this is the big question right now. Abe's term as LDP leader will come to an end in 2021. So he really doesn't have much time left as prime minister. This opens up multiple questions about his remaining time in the role. I think the first question that's being asked is who will succeed him? So one person who's being discussed as an option is Shinjiro Koizumi, he currently serves as environment minister. And he's, he's, the, um, he's the one who said we had to make climate change sexy, right? Big scale issue like climate change. It gotta be fun. 
I, you gotta be cool. You gotta be sexy too. Yeah, that's the guy. Um, he's Jun Ichiro Koizumi's son. He's quite charismatic. Uh, he's like a rising star of Japanese politics. Um, so he's popular and all, but he still doesn't have that much political experience. Okay, so there's Shinjiro Koizumi. Who else has been mentioned in succession discussions? So people like Fumio Kishida and Katsunobu Kato are very close to Abe and they have experience serving as ministers, but they're just not that popular with the public. Another person I can think of is Yoshihide Suga. His popularity was rising in the polls earlier this year, but with the two ministers he'd recommended for the role quitting within a week of each other, uh, earlier this year, his standing in the LDP isn't as firm as it was before. Okay, so right now it doesn't seem like there's much in the way of a clear, obvious successor to Abe. Exactly. And that leads us to another question of whether Abe will serve as a, uh, serve another term as LDP leader. Is that possible if he's already exceeded his the number of terms he can serve? The thing is, historically, LDP leaders could only serve two terms as leader. But when Abe's second term was coming to an end, the party changed their own rules so that Abe can serve a third term. Toshihiro Nikai, a heavyweight LDP politician, has floated the idea of allowing Abe a fourth term, so it could very much be a possibility. So if the idea has been mooted by other politicians within his party, has Abe actually indicated at all that he would be willing to serve a fourth term as president of the LDP and as a result maybe continue his run even further as prime minister of Japan? Well, he has said that he's not thinking about it, that it's not really on his mind. Whether that's true or not, we'll have to see. But assuming that he's not able to continue... The question becomes, what will Abe's legacy be? What will people remember him for? He's got two years left in power, and yes, he's done a lot during his time as prime minister. The economy's been stable, he's maintained good relations with the US and recently secured a trade deal with them. Um, he's improved relations with China as well in recent years. But the thing is, there isn't a signature policy of any sort that Abe will definitely be remembered for. That question of legacy, then, is that a reflection of Abe's general abilities as prime minister? Well, it brings us back to the earlier point I and many others around him have made, that he's succeeded in the length of time he's served as prime minister, but it just isn't clear if he'll walk away with a set of achievements he can hold high. He's failed to change the constitution, uh, the effects of his main economic policy, Abenomics, which even bears his name, is still questionable, and his pledge to return the citizens who'd been abducted by North Korea hasn't seen any success yet. What he has done, though, is bring stability to the nation by being in power for over seven years, which I think may not be the change Japan necessarily needs, but may have been exactly what the people wanted. Well, thank you, Sakura, for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you. 
That was Sakura Murakami, and you can find all her politics reporting online at japantimes.co.jp. You can listen to other deep dive episodes just like this one by subscribing to the podcast. Sakura is featured in some fantastic other episodes, including ones on Japan's stance towards whaling, as well as the emperor's abdication and succession to the throne. So go back and listen to those if you've not already. Just a note to say that the release dates of new episodes of Deep Dive will be a bit sporadic over the next few weeks with the holiday season approaching and everyone being busy in the Japan Times office having a good time. With that being said, if you're enjoying the podcast, please do give us a review on whichever podcast platform you're using, or better yet, share it with someone you think might enjoy it. It's the perfect Christmas present for you and all the family. Thanks ever so much for listening, and until next time. It gotta be fun. It gotta be cool. It gotta be sexy too.